the fourth century Egyptian monk, Abba Lot, had been basically felt like he had advanced the prayer as much as he can. He was hitting a ceiling. So he comes to Abba Joseph, who was much more excelled in him in prayer. And Abba Lot says, look, I have been doing all my prayers. I've been praying all the time. I've been fasting. I've been like, what more can I do? And Abba Joseph stands up, raises his hands to the heavens and begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, all 10 of his fingers erupt as lamps of fire. Then he just sits back down and says, if you are willing, you can become all fire. This makes sense when you recognize that we as humans, our souls are coal. We're coal. We're a lump of dusty darkness. We don't actually bring anything to God that makes him go like, whoa, how exciting. Uh, We are coal. But coal has one certain property, and that is that it can burn. The Holy Spirit is fire. We are coal. The two get together. The ignition happens when we pray. And thus, that is the purpose of prayer for us, is that we would commune with God. We would be one with God. As St. John of Sinai said, prayer is essentially communication and union between God and man. That is essentially what prayer is. So that's why we pray. It's communion with God. Um, We then looked at when we pray. That was last week. We have set times of prayer and spontaneous times of prayer. I hope that you have filled your calendar with a regular pattern of prayer after last week. I hope that you have set times, a specific time in which you're going to do your best to keep that appointment of prayer with God. And then that you're trying to fill, in between your set times of prayer, you're trying to fill your day with spontaneous praise and pleas to our Father as we go through the day. This is how we keep the fire burning. We stoke it with our set prayers, or we, we, we fuel it with our set prayers, and we keep it going with our spontaneous prayers. And then tonight, we're going to talk about what we pray. Because I don't know about you, but... When you start off in prayer, sometimes you feel really stupid. You often wonder if this makes any difference. You feel like you're in a dialogue in your own head. And then worse is, God already knows my thoughts. He already knows everything I need before I ask him. Why am I asking him? Right? That mentality misunderstands prayer. That's the mentality of prayer is asking God for things. Prayer, remember, is primarily communion with God. So I would, you know, I would go through different things and like, okay, I prayed. I don't know what to pray for now. Um, And then you would find yourself the next day kind of repeating yesterday's prayer. And you find yourself getting in this rut. And then you know you're supposed to pray for people, but it's just such a burden. It's like all these people keep coming to your mind and you don't know what to pray for them. What to pray can be one of the biggest barriers to praying. So I want to help us tonight know what to pray so that we can fill our prayer time rather than kill our prayer time. You with me? I think some of us like, I want to pray for an hour, but we're like, frankly, we have no idea how to fill an hour of prayer. So we're just finding ways to kill the prayer time. Oh, I'll pray for Pastor Dan again because he, uh, he's a sinner. So, so here's what I want to give to you guys. Um, we're going to be in Matthew, as you can see. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, verse 9 to 13. 
I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Then we will look at praying the Psalms. Then we will look at praying Scripture. So what do we pray? We pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray the Psalms. We pray Scripture. And yes, you do pray whatever comes to your heart and mind too. But as I will show you, I believe that that part is important to come after we pray the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, and Scripture. We need a path, we need a road, we need a trail before we start launching our thoughts. Because before you know it, this is what happens. You sound more like a Fox News anchor than you do like a prayer. We need a road and we need a path. So what do we pray? The Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, Scripture. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. We'll start up at verse 5, but I'm not going to exposit these passages. But just to give you the context, 6 verse 5 Jesus, by the way, is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving um, a vision of discipleship, what it means to follow him, to become one with him. And he's in the midst of the tools. How do we become one with Christ? He gives us three tools. Almsgiving, think of your neighbor, love your neighbor, meet their needs. Fasting, deny your flesh certain things that might fuel the passions and sins of our nature. And then prayer. Prayer is in the middle of these three. Prayer is one of the means to commune, become one with God. By the way, prayer is in the middle of the very sermon. The whole center of the sermon is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So now 6 verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Thankfully, I have not had to correct any of you at Stater Brothers about this. (laughs) Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, being seen by others. Do you pray to be seen by others? No, we pray to commune with God. We know that. That's our object, is communion with God. So truly, I say to you, they have a reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Why will you be rewarded? Because you're communing with God. That's the goal, that's the reward. Verse 7, and when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay, one clarification here. Some people will say, I cannot pray such and such prayer every day because that's heaping up empty phrases. I'm being repetitive. Jesus is not telling us to not dare. How dare you say the same prayer two days in a row? It's not what he's saying. Pagans did not believe that gods loved them. They had to earn the God's attention, and they actually had incredibly elaborate prayers that had to be read verbatim. And there was a monitor who would stand next to the prayer to ensure quality control of the prayers so that the God doesn't get upset but accepts the prayers and offerings of the people. It was very particular. It was more like a don't you dare make a noise because your dad is working in the house. Like if any of you grew up in that kind of context and dad would come out all mad, <laughs> um, it's not like that with our God. So Jesus is saying, you don't have to pray like them. They babble and babble and babble to be heard. So this has nothing to do with, I am going to pray the Lord's Prayer three times today. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, verse eight, do not be like them. And here's the reason. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to, in other words, inform God. You're just 
communing with God. I said jest. That's not a jest. That's a, you get to commune with God. So we're not informing him like pagans. That's why we don't have to babble and babble and babble. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Of course, you already know the answer to this. Well, then why do we pray if he already knows what I need before I ask him? Because you know by now, prayer is not about asking God for things. Prayer is about communing with God. Now, in our communion, we need things and we do ask for things, but that is not the primary goal of prayer. So he already knows what we need before we ask him. Verse 9. So then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Sorry, my translation says debts, but we do pray trespasses. Uh, As we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you have the New King James Bible, it will then say, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is widely believed that that was added into the text as a um, church use. Kind of like, we're going to end the prayer with this. Um, The older manuscripts don't seem to have that. So if you're looking at an ESV Bible, which I am, you notice that that part's not there. Interesting, huh? It was taken from an Old Testament passage in 2 Corinthians, so it's biblical. But it probably wasn't what Jesus taught. Nonetheless, it's okay to pray that. That's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, think of it like a trail. Think of it like a trail. You might remember this from a couple weeks ago. Elder Emilianos, he was a 20th century Greek monk. He defined prayer like this. Prayer is the journey of the soul to God. Prayer is the journey of the soul to God. The purpose being to reach him and be united with him. Prayer is the journey of the soul to God. The purpose being to reach him and be united to him. Think then of the Lord's prayer like a trail, like a path. We are ascending a mountain, the pinnacle of which is communion with God. How do we get to that mountaintop? If you've tried to commune with God, you might sit there and feel pretty stupid. Saying things, do I do this in my head? Do I do this out loud? How do you get there? Furthermore, what if I say the wrong things? God, make that person nice to me because they're jerks. Because I deserve better than this. God, give me a raise because I'm tired of driving a car that works perfectly fine but just looks ugly. God, and so forth. How do we pray? If you pray like that, you're not going to commune with God. The Lord's Prayer is our path to the pinnacle of communion with him. So think of it as a path. Um, Half of the prayer, you might have noticed, centers on God. The other half of the prayer centers on us. There are three petitions for each. On God, we are praying that his name would be hallowed. We're praying for his kingdom to come. We're praying for his will to be done. Then it gets to the second half. Lord, give us our bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from evil. Perfect balance of three and three. Now, that, by the way, the middle of the prayer, you have God on one side and us on the other side, and then you have the very middle. The Lord's Prayer is the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. And then in the very center of that center, you have this union between God and man our requests and his 
well, our praise of him. I'm not, I'm not sure if he has requests, but yes, um, those two coming together at the very heart of this sermon is union between God and man, because that's what prayer is. So here, here we have the path. Now, um, you, if you've ever went hiking, you have to know where the trailhead is. The trailhead is the start of the trail. What kind of a trail is this? Am I going to need really big boots? Am I going to need a walking stick? Am I going to need ropes? Or am I good with my vans? Can I walk up in my vans? Uh, do I need to bring a snack or water? Like, what, what am I getting into? Well, the Lord's Prayer comes with its own trailhead. Jesus said, pray then like this. In other words, he's saying, there's the trailhead. And the trailhead has on it, our Father in heaven. First words of the prayer set the tone for the entirety of the prayer. And remember, he just contrasted praying from the pagans. The pagans would never say our father. They would come quivering before the gods that can smite them if they didn't do this right. Our father is a totally different tone in which we get to come to the one who already loves us. We don't pray to receive love. We don't pray to get God's attention. We don't yell and shout to say, hey, pay attention to us. Jesus lets us know that we walk onto ground in which we have already been awaited on. The father has opened this path saying, please come. I'm waiting for you. And consider, too, what it means, Father. It means we're entering into a relationship. We're not trying to earn or achieve. We're moving into something that already exists for the sake or by the sake of Christ. I can only call God Father because he is Christ's Father. And it is because Christ prays this prayer alongside us that we can come alongside Christ and say, with Christ, our Father and with each other, our Father. By saying our Father in heaven, we are acknowledging the fact that we are in Christ and we're united in him and that's how we come to him. That's why we don't have to pray like pagans do and babble and babble. Notice how Jesus, notice how short this prayer is. In ancient times, like pagan times, this would be considered laughably short. It's because God is not interested in our babble. He's interested in our communion. You can pray this slowly. You can pray this 15 times. Did you know that? You can. That's not repetitious babble if you're praying it from the heart, every line. Um, Our Father, St. John Chrysostom blew my mind when he said that by calling God Father, we're acknowledging these truths. The remission of sins, the removal of punishment, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, adoption, inheritance, brotherhood with Christ, supply of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' prayer. I know people try to say that this is the disciples' prayer. No, it's not. Jesus prayed this prayer. It's very clear. He doesn't give a prayer this polished to people just suddenly when they're just like, how should we pray? What you do if you do this suddenly is you say, well, you should probably praise God. You should probably confess your sins. You should probably ask for things that you need. Jesus didn't give us a bullet point list of prayer things. He gave us a polished prayer, which he clearly had been praying. This is Christ's prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. He prays this, and it only makes sense then to come alongside him and say, Our Father in heaven. Christ prayed this. He asked us to pray it. Now, this is the path, the trailhead we see. Okay, good. It's a good trail. Now, along the way up to the pinnacle, communion with God, there are six signposts. Little postmarks that say, you're on the right path. 
You know how dreaded it is when you're when your route when you're going somewhere. Like we're coming back from Arizona the other night. Last night, whoa, wow, it was a long day. Last night, um, we we're coming back from Arizona, and the ten was closed down for part. Like, no, what do I do? I'm in Phoenix. I don't know Phoenix. The ten's closed down. So, oh, detour, ten detour. Like, okay, good detour. But then after a while, like, did they forget about us? Am I still on the detour? Am I still going the right way? And then every now and then you see the orange detour saying, okay, good, good. But then you're like unsure, wait, did it say go that way or this way? And you're like, I, I'm going to go with my intuition. And then like, oh, good, another orange sign detour. It's like, it's reassuring to have those signposts. The Lord's Prayer gives us those signposts that as you're going, like, good, keep going. You're on the right path. There's six of them. The six petitions are signposts. Did I get astray in my prayer? Did I start talking to myself? Did I start getting more interested in my kingdom than God's kingdom? Well, the six petitions, the six signposts will keep us going in the right direction. This is how we pray. So here they are. We start with God's name. Hallowed be your name. Hallow is actually a more common word than you think it is. Every October 31st, we have Halloween. It means holy or to make holy. To hallow God's name is to make God's name holy, to set it apart, to make it unique. This is not just any name. This is a name that I treat differently. This is not Bob, Albert. Sorry, Albert, I didn't mean to use a name in here. Um, (laughs) Or Chuck. This is the holy name, Father, which we only through Christ get to use. The first people in history get to call the almighty God, Father. Hallowed be your name. So the best way for me, this helps me, is to think hallow with an A. Hallow is the opposite of hollow with an O. <coughs> My guitar is hollow. Listen to it. There you go. That's better. Is there anything in there? There isn't, actually. There's nothing in there. It's hollow. Well, I mean, there's, a, there's dust. There's definitely dust in there. <coughs> Hallow is not empty, it's full. It's brimming over with substance. To hallow God's name is to live. We're asking that God would help us to live in such a way that his name is seen as the greatest substance, the greatest reality in this universe. Without praying this, we could so easily just get into living with hallowing God's name. Oh yeah, God, yeah, oh yeah, you call him Jesus, but I call him meditation, or I call him bird watching, or my little thing that I do on my couch for five minutes a week. (laughs) No, that's to hallow God's name. So if you're hallowing his name in your petitions, if you're hallowing him in your prayer, good, you're on the right path. Second, we pray for God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. This pits us against our kingdom. And it makes me realize real quickly that I'm not walking on to a mountain that says, Brandon, what do you want? Whatever you want, it's your kingdom come. Nope. I have to lay aside my kingdom, and I have to acknowledge that God's kingdom is not the kingdoms of this world. When I pray your kingdom come, I am praying that my desires would align with that which is of God's kingdom and not the desires that the world teaches me to want, or not the desires that my inner desires want. I am pleading that I would desire the kingdom above all else, and that will solve a lot of our decisions. Third, God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to surrender to God's will. 
Now, his kingdom coming, um, God brings the kingdom, but his will can't be done unless you're obedient, at least in your life. It can't be done in your life unless you're obedient. So this is where we surrender ourselves and we ask that we would see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, as it's already happening in heaven, let it happen in my life. Let it happen in my church. Let it happen at my job. Let it happen in my family. Let your will be flowing out. Then fourth, the fourth signpost, we pray for our bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This means you're asking God for the absolute necessities you need for the day. We're not asking for unnecessary things. He's not our genie. He's asked, we're asking for him daily bread. <clears throat> so on one hand, we're saying, God, give to me what I need and only what I need. And on the other hand, we're saying, do not give me more than I need. And this, when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I am asking for needs. I'm asking for Christ, who is the bread of life. Because with more Christ being fed to me, the less of the world I'm going to want and the less needs I'm going to have. Half, half. 99% of our desires are because we have a lack of union with Christ. We think that substances or materials will make us feel complete when it's Christ and our union in him, that is what we need. So I'm also praying, Lord, let me not have any more than what I need today. I tend, I, I can have a big appetite. God, let me not eat more than I need to eat. I can tend to want things I don't need. Lusting after the newest technology or whatever it is out there. God, I don't really need this. Give to me what I need today. This tempers our desires. Fifth, signpost is our forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a hard one, but as we pray for forgiveness, we acknowledge, we must acknowledge that we are responsible for giving to others that which we receive from Christ. We must be also forgiving of others. And if at this point, you're getting pretty high, you might feel pretty tired, you're getting pretty high up the mountain, I should say, you're getting pretty tired, um, don't give up. That's a hard one. Check in your heart. Have I forgiven all people? If not, you need to move toward the people that you have differences with because otherwise you're not going to get quite to the pinnacle. Sixth signpost is our deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not God, of course, who leads us into temptation. Uh, it's just a way of saying, don't let us stumble into temptation. Like, protect us. Hold us back. I love the prayer in Psalm 19. Um, who can discern all his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, and hold back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. That's great. Hold back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. That's part what we mean here when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or it could also literally read the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. This part of the prayer has helped open my eyes to all the ways of the world that it's trying to tempt us. Because frankly, most of us in America, we are Christianized secularists. <laughs> meaning we have a secular worldview in which we've simply added Jesus to. And we, so we therefore desire the things of the world, but we also desire Jesus. But lead us not into temptation. Help us to see where the world, the sin, the devil are working so that I can let your kingdom come in my life. Let me desire your kingdom. 
This prayer, by the way, so you get through these six signposts, you reach the pinnacle. And now you see differently because you're at the top. You have the view. You're with God. You see yourself differently. You see God differently. You see the world differently now. And now you can see everything in its proper context and you can desire the things you're meant to desire, which is why I have absolutely no shame in reciting this prayer verbatim multiple times a day because this is not just a prayer. It is a prayer and I get to commune with God in it, but it's also teaching me how to see the world through the lens of God's eyes. It's teaching me to desire the right things and not the things that I desire when I'm left on my own. In many ways, it's a reorientation of the heart. Um, by the way, uh, the early church, they're, they're the first like, Christian document outside of the New Testament, the Didache, tells Christians to pray this prayer three times a day. And you might remember last week I said early Christians had three set times of prayer a day. It means that they prayed the Lord's Prayer each of their set times of prayer. When they got together, they recited the Lord's Prayer at church. Um, it seems that eventually it evolved into something where they prayed it at the end of their prayers that they lift up to God. And that happens to be what we do here. I actually did not know that. And I read it. I'm like, that's what we do. That's pretty cool. Uh, The Lord's Prayer is a great way to remember, okay, this is how God taught me to pray. So I don't pray outside things that aren't necessary. Um, So we pray the Lord's Prayer. What else do we pray? The Psalms. We pray the Psalms. Notice I said we pray the Psalms. We don't read the Psalms. In my youth, the only time I looked at the Psalms was when it was in my reading schedule. I would read the Psalms. It happened to be the McShane Bible reading plan, which goes through the Psalms, I think it was twice a year. So I would read the Psalms twice a year. But brothers and sisters, ancient Christianity would have been like, you what, the Psalms? You don't read the Psalms. You sing the Psalms. You pray the Psalms. We pray the Psalms. Now, This will feel very foreign to a lot of us. To open up a psalm, how many are my foes, O Lord? How many are rising up against me? How many are saving my soul? There is no salvation for him and God. Crush the teeth of the wicked, O Lord. How do I pray that? What does this mean? That's what it's going to feel like. And this is why most of us might have tried at some point, I'm going to pray the psalms. We're like, I don't know how to pray that. Because we are conditioned to pray what comes to our minds and to basically jabber our, we're basically downloading our thoughts upon God's lap. That's our idea of prayer. And then we move on. And then we see the Psalms like, those concerns are not my concerns. We don't, that's not my language. And we don't know what to do with them. But actually what happens is the prayers of the Psalms teach us how to pray. They invite us to enter into another's experience. And and the prayers that the church has been praying for 2,000 years, we enter into the psalmist's plight, and then we must wrestle with the words and figure out what does it mean to pray these words in my context? How many are my foes, O Lord? How many are saying about me? There is no salvation for him and God. Are people talking about you? Or... The great foe of the Psalms for every Christian is the demons. But see, we're Christianized secularists. We don't believe in demons. We don't believe they're doing anything in our lives. Pray the Psalms differently. You will begin to realize there's a lot of warding off and protecting ourselves. The Psalms must be wrestled with as we enter into them. So this is why we pray the Psalms. 
One, they're the prayer book of the Bible. If you want to be biblical, pray the Psalms. Second, the early church prayed them. Uh, We know that. We know they prayed them a lot. But you see this in Scripture that they prayed them. Acts chapter 4. The first prayer we see the early church lifting up, written down, is Psalm 2. They are persecuted by the religious leaders of Jerusalem. They get together, and what do they pray? Whatever we feel like. No. They went to the Psalms, and they prayed Psalm 2. Then they lifted up their own request. The psalm taught them about their situation and how to pray for it. The early church prayed the psalms. Jesus prayed the psalms. On the cross, he cites the first lines of Psalm 22. You don't just say, oh yeah, checklist. It's time for me to cite Psalm 22 to fulfill all things. You're suffering. You're only praying what's already in your heart. He can only pray Psalm 22 because he has prayed Psalm 22. And the Lord's Prayer is actually a microcosm of the Psalms. But we'll get to that in just one second. Oh, that's actually right now. (laughs) Okay, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German martyr, pointed out that the Psalms are an expansion of the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is a summarization of the Psalms. That everything the Psalms are asking for are there in the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is asking for things that the Psalms are asking for. So you might be like, okay, cool, I'm on this path uh, basically, this is what we're being invited to. You're on this path, the Lord's Prayer, to the pinnacle of communion with God, and then, ooh, a lookout. It's called a turnout up here. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, a lookout point. We pull over and like, ooh, wow, look at this. We have 150 vistas on the way up to the top of the mountain. That's what the Psalms are for us. 150 vistas. Great uh, tool for us in prayer. Um, okay, how, though, do we pray the Psalms? Three ways. You need all three of them. First, pray all 150 psalms. They're not a random collection of prayers. I'll do this one today. I'll do that one today. Now, you can do that if you need a certain psalm, for sure. But have in your set prayers where you're going through the psalms. Pray the psalms. Start with one. Go to two. Go to three. Yes, get through the hard ones, like 137, and get all the way to 150. And when you get to 150, go back. Pray all 150. But the reason for all 150 is that the Psalms are not randomized. I've taught this to you before, so some of you remember, but the Psalms have an intentional structure and order. There is actually a narrative and a story and a prophecy happening in the Psalms by reading them from beginning to end that you will never imagine unless you get used to the flow of the Psalms. There is an actual flow to them. And you'll begin to realize as you pray them, it's not accidental that Psalm 142 follows the Psalm 141. Or that Psalm 143 is at the end of it. And, and I was talking to one brother, um, the sweet like order. Sometimes you feel like there's just like Psalm 90, 91, 92. Those three just seem to be met, to be, uh, I'm not what I'm trying to say. They, they seem to go together. And you'll find that. Uh, pray them all through. Also, when you're finished, like you guys already called out, start over again, and then again, and then again. The only difference is how frequently will you do that. Um, You're not more righteous if you go through the Psalms every week than if somebody goes through them every year. Absolutely no point in that. If prayer is communion with God, there's no achievement in doing more Psalms than other people. You may want to pray the Psalms every week, and the Psalms have been broken down so you can pray them through every week, 
They've also been broken down so you can pray them every month. We have flyers back there that can show you how to pray the Psalms through in a month. Or you just, look, today is Monday. I'm going to do Psalm 1. Tuesday, I'm going to do Psalm 2. And you're just going to do one Psalm a day. Like, you pray as you pray with God. There's no right or wrong way. I'm just asking that we pray the Psalms. They will shape you. And then, third, so you pray all 150, pray them again and again and again, um, then pray them attentively. I already had said this a little bit with you guys, but wrestle with them line by line. What does this mean for me to make this prayer my own? It may not be real helpful the first time through, but as you keep revisiting Psalms, it's going to start to become your own prayer. I promise you. As someone who's been uh, finally doing this <laughs> the last two years, um, almost every month, um, you start to get to know Psalms, and they start to, oh, this prayer. And you have things that you know to pray, and it, it happens. Uh, pray them slowly, one line at a time. Prayer, Psalms are not things we rush through. They echo one another. They play with one another. There's a dialogue in the Psalms, one line at a time, letting the words and the heart meet together. Pray them audibly, if you want. They are meant to be audible. Now, we may have lost how to sing a lot of these, but you can pray them audibly. There's something about hearing the psalms, speaking the psalms, letting the tongue and the body become part of the psalms. Okay, so we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray the psalms. We pray Scripture. Why do we pray Scripture? Do we pray to read the Bible? Or do we read the Bible to pray? Do we pray to read the Bible or do we read the Bible to pray? So in my development, I was told to read the Bible and pray. And they would always tell you that the Bible is the most important thing, and it really is. I mean, it's hard to say the most when you have God, but God's the most. But, you know, the Bible is really important. Um, but so then basically they would tell you, oh, yeah, just read Ephesians or read a verse a day or whatever. So you go and you read it. And then prayer becomes a means of supplementing your Bible reading. Okay, Lord, open my eyes. Pray, pray, pray. Oh, Lord, help me to just there. Amen. That's, that is, you pray to read the Bible. That's fine. But there's a more mature version where you read the Bible to pray. The difference might seem subtle, but it's powerful. Because if the Bible is seen as being apart from prayer, if the Bible's divorced from prayer, it becomes a source of information. But if the Bible is seen as a part of prayer... It's in the midst of my praying, then the Bible becomes a source of transformation. You don't read Jesus healing the blind man the same way when it's in the midst of your praying as you do when you're checking off your reading list right before bed. You don't read them the same way. The words of Christ become words to us in prayer. We read the scriptures in the context of prayer because the scriptures are not meant to make us smart. They're meant to make us saints. How do we pray scripture? Now, by the way, I am not saying don't study the Bible. Study the Bible. But that's not the same thing as praying the scriptures. How do we pray scripture? Um, well, first of all, you've got to read it. If we aren't reading the Bible, I really encourage you guys, get on a program to read the Bible. And by program, yeah, of course, you can follow our one-year Bible reading plan, which is back there, and which, thank you, Albert, says he's loving it. Thank you, Brittany. She says she's loving it, too. I don't know how many of you else are reading it. Um, <clears throat> but um, where was I? Oh, you can do that. Or your, reg your regime can be the way I started. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 and 3, verse 4, the next day, verse 5, the next day. I read as little as I can and just jotted some of it down. Um, but just get scripture in there so that you can pray it in. So what you, you do is when you, when you pray scripture, you're reading it and you're not questioning it. Scholars do that. When you're studying the Bible, you question things. Like, oh, why does the Lord's Prayer end with this and this translation on that translation? You don't do that in prayer. You let the Bible question you. You let the Bible question you. Why haven't I forgiven them? Not, well, why did Jesus say that? No, no. Why haven't I? Um, we don't worry about the things we don't understand. We worry about the things we do understand. So don't get all hung up with, oh, Leviticus, blah, blah. But when you see that the whole point of one offering is to give all of it to God, maybe you understand I'm to give all of myself to God. Worry about that. Worry about that and give yourself to God. Um, read slowly and attentively. It's not a race. Let it stick into you. Paying attention to anything that sticks out to you. And when something sticks out to you, grab it, hold it, pray it, listen to it, read it again. Let the voice of God come through the word of God and respond. That's how you pray scripture. All right, so now I'm going to end this with, um, I think there's an, a kind of an elephant in the room or an unarticulated um, question. Um, what about praying in my own words? Right? This whole time I've been telling you to pray other people's words, the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, and Scripture. What about my own words? Absolutely, yes, pray your own words. But Wait. Don't rush in with your words. Now, that's spontaneous prayer through the day, of course. You're not going to sit down and open up a psalm. Wait, world, stop. Crisis. I'm going to read a psalm, and then I'm going to cry out. No. Spontaneous prayers are just that. They're the arrows that, remember, arrow prayers are the ones we shoot to God in the moment. But those are sound because in our set prayers, we are praying God's words, not just our own words. So, yes, 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 yes. We want to pray our free expression prayers. We also want to pray the formed prayers, the ones that are given to us, written down. I advise, this is why I said you might not, you might feel challenged, but now I'm trying to balance it for you. We need both. Because if I'm to grow in prayer, like the way I learned English, prayer is a language. I must be taught how to pray. And the minute I say I don't need to pray the Lord's Prayer or the Psalms, means basically I can outdo the Lord's Prayer. I can't do the Psalms. Ooh, really? Good for you. I'm not there. I'm not willing to say I'm there. Um, you can even, uh, yeah. Um, I know a lot of you guys, um, a while ago, I know, uh, William really liked St. Macarius the Great's evening prayer. Oh, eternal God, King of all creation, who have permitted me to come to this moment. Forgive me the sins I've committed this day in thought, word, and deed, and cleanse the Lord my humble soul from every stain of flesh and spirit. That prayer. Um, yeah, you can also pray prayers from the saints. Like, these people are holy people. They knew how to pray. It's okay to pray their words too. Like We use formed prayers, um, but we also do use our own prayers. Okay, So here's how I'm going to summarize this. Formed prayers form us. That's pretty cool. I want to be formed. Free prayers free us. You got this burden, you got this concern, unload it! That's what prayer is for. It frees us. Form prayers form us, free prayers free us, but we should do both. And I'm going to suggest we get to free prayers after we pray form prayers for five reasons. This is how we're ending. So children, 
bear with me for a few more minutes. Five reasons. Number one, this is why we pray form prayers. My own words are a poor substitute for God's words. <laughs> now, I have people... Now, I, this is in my ninth and 10th grade Bible class at like our Christian school. Uh, I had one... Um, girl, one girl who's the sister of someone in this room, <laughs> um, she bravely got in front of the class on one of her assigned presentations and said, I think we should stop praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim, and then gave the class her reasons. And I was like, mm, I, I like your, I like that you're speaking out, and like you have an opinion, you have a viewpoint on this. But brothers and sisters, can you outdo God's words? Here's what Cyprian of Carthage said. He was a third century bishop. Carthage was the northern African region. Cyprian said, Therefore, let us pray, dearest brothers, just as God the Master has taught us, imploring God in his own words, sending up to his ears the prayer of Christ. Can you, can you do better than praying Christ's words before God? You cannot. So at a minimum, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Second reason we pray for in prayers is that my words can produce undue burden and burnout in prayer. Undue burden and burnout. It is exhausting to have to be original every time you come before God. Oh, I got to create, like, I said that yesterday, or I got to say this in a fresh way, or like, great, if you can and you do, fantastic. But what I have found is that when that is the aim in prayer, I get burnout because I start to get in ruts where I find my phrases. And you know some of the phrases, you hear them all the time. Lead us, protect us, guide us. Right? We get in ruts. And that rut is the same thing as a form prayer. You're saying the same words over and over and over. Except your rut is inferior to the ruts of Scripture and the ruts of the saints. Is it not? Um, number three, my own words can distract me, truthfully. How many times have you been praying free-flowing thoughts to God? And for a while, it's really good. But then all of a sudden, it made you think of a news event, which made you think of who you're going to talk to when you go to work in a few minutes, which made you, before you know it, you're at dinner, and it's still 7 a.m., and you're in prayer. How did that happen? Because my own words can be distractions. Um, and what we end up doing is we end up babbling before God, just as Jesus told us not to do. <laughs> St. John of Sinai, you remember, I always quote him because he's so witty. He said, do not try to talk much when you pray. Otherwise, your wind will be preoccupied with finding the right words. A single word from the tax collector appeased God, and one cry in faith delivers the thief on the cross. Verbal eloquence in prayer often distracts the mind and results in fantasies, but terseness Brevity gives focus. Solomon said the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So the caution. Fourth, my own words distract me. I'm sorry, uh, that was the one we just did. They distract me. My own words misdirect me. 
I'm on this path up to the pinnacle, and all of a sudden my words can start going into tirades. Have you been there? You've been there. I know you have. I've heard people pray like this in public. Not here, ever, not here. <laughs> um, but you start telling God what he already knows, which is invariably followed up by telling him what you think he should do about it. That's a misdirect. You jumped off the edge of the path when you're doing that. You're not on the path to the mountain anymore. So Tertullian, also of Carthage, he's second century. That's, that's like only decades after Revelation, by the way. <laughs> he was a writer in this church, and he said this. about the, He wrote a treatise on prayer. He said this. <clears throat> we have the right to construct secondary top story, a secondary top story of pleas for additional desires on the foundation. What's he saying? He's saying in prayer, you've got two levels. You've got the foundation, but then you've got the upper floor. You have a right to construct your own prayers in the upper floor, but he's saying the upper floor is on the foundation. Okay, so you have the right to construct a secondary top story of pleas for additional desires on the foundation, as it were, of our rehearsal of the proper and normal prayer. By proper and normal prayer, he's alluding to the Lord's Prayer, because that's what he's saying about, talking about in the context. Yet, we must be mindful of his directions, since our distance from his directions is our distance from the ears of God. Hmm. So, the closer we stay to his words, the better off we are. And now remember, if prayer is communion with God, that's okay. You don't have to vent every original word, because that's not the goal of prayer is not originality, it's communion. But some people are so gifted with just pouring their hearts out in prayer. I would never stop them. But we must remember to do it properly. Um, Okay, and then finally, five. My own words cannot lead me beyond myself. Now think about this. When you are anxious, you pray anxious prayers. When you are fearful, you pray fearful prayers. Oh, when you're angry, what do you pray? Angry prayers. And I've heard this in many prayer groups. I've heard, I've seen this pattern. And some people never break out of that type of prayer because they live in that mode. If I'm only praying what I'm feeling, I will never be formed or grown. So, Only a prayer outside of myself can grow me beyond myself. Okay, so to sum it all up, foreign prayers form us. They're creating us into the image of God, especially the Lord's Prayer in the Psalms. Free prayers free us from burdens, but it's best to do this in suit. So um, I suggest if you guys don't have like um, structure in your prayer, adopt this rudimentary structure. This is super rudimentary. One, when you have your set time of prayer, one, pray the Lord's Prayer. You cannot go wrong by starting with Christ's words, and then you're on the trail, and it's guiding you to communion with God. And then you remember, oh, this, what I'm praying is not bringing glory to God's name. I shouldn't be praying this. Or this is beyond my daily bread. I shouldn't be praying, right? It guides us to the right, proper discussion with God. So start with the Lord's Prayer. Pray it verbatim. 
Second, pray the Psalms. After you pray the Lord's Prayer, pray the Psalms. Whether it's 1, 15, all 150. If you're retired and you can do that, fantastic. I envy you. But um, pray the Psalms next. Pray the Lord's Prayer, pray the Psalms, pray Scripture, read it prayerfully. Then, finally, let the concerns that are pressing you be given to God. Because by the time you get to this point, oh, so many of the things you thought God needed to hear about are so by the wayside by this point. You left them at the bottom of the hill, the bottom of the mountain, where they belong. <laughs> Um, now, you, when you pray your free prayers, some people need help. Like, what do, I, what do I pray? Pray the Lord's Prayer expanded. In other words, you use it as a guideline at this point. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we start praying, God, use my church to glorify you. Use my life to glorify you. Uh, your kingdom come. You, start, you just go down those lines and you start praying your words in those lines. That's one way you can do your free prayers. You just use the, you expand the Lord's Prayer. Anyways, those are four rudimentary ways you can start a structured prayer life. Pray the Lord's Prayer verbatim, pray the Psalms, read Scripture, and then pray freely. If you will, you can become all fire. So rather than sitting down to kill your prayer time, enter it and fill it. Praying the Lord's Prayer, fill it with the Psalms, fill it with Scripture, fill it with your needs. May Christ be manifest in us. Lord, direct my will, teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me.